straight efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 62, we're joined by Glenn Kedzie. He's a senior executive at the American Trucking Associations, where we talk about why everyone needs to pay attention to what happens in California, the give and take in the regulatory development process, the reason this next Knox rule will be the last, and why being a fleet manager will become one of the most difficult jobs in trucking. He also offers advice on collaborating with government regulators and urges trucking industry stakeholders to speak up during the rulemaking process. Today we have joining us Glenn Kedzie. Glenn's a senior executive at the American Trucking Associations. I'm really excited about this conversation, Glenn. It's a real pleasure having you on today. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's always good to catch up with you and uh, discuss all these issues that we work with on a daily basis that are uh, very critical for this nation and, and for every consumer out there in, in this country. Before we kick into this, I always ask my guests when we became friends. So uh, do you recall when we first uh, got to know one another? You and I have been in this industry a long time. I've, I've been in this industry almost a quarter century now, and, and I'm sure you're somewhere in that category as well. But, you know, I definitely from your first day at NACFI, and there was interaction back in your Navistar days as well. So it's been a long time. Yeah, let's just call it a long time. <laughs> I know um, it, it probably, I mean, I did some work uh, on, you know, industry recall, safety recalls, automatic, you know, uh, approved field changes and some of that back a long time ago at Navistar when I had that role in the early 2000s. But I guess in earnest, we probably started working on this, um, you know, greenhouse gas phase two and phase one and some of that work, um, even maybe on pollutant emissions back at Navistar. So let, let's just call it a while ago, Glenn. <laughs> So tell us about your role at the ATA, uh, maybe a little bit about the ATA, um, you know, I, in working with you, I know, I know you kind of have a number of hats there, um, but most of it involves the, um, you know, the really tough, challenging work of working with governments, whether they're, I suppose, state and local, as well as federal on, on regulations that affect trucking. But um, tell us, tell us a bit about what you do. Sure. The American Trucking Associations is the National Trade Association for, for the trucking industry, We've been in existence for about 80 years now. We uh, do everything soup to nuts. You know, we, we do economic forecasting. We have a engineering and technology uh, division, safety cross-border. We have different conferences. We have technology and maintenance conference. We have the egg transporter conference. We have intermodal. We have... Uh, <clears throat> every single aspect that you could think of, if you need an answer, you know, ATA should be able to give you the answer or at least research it and whatnot. Uh, we also have a Capitol Hill office that's in, based in Washington, DC. ATA's headquarters is also now based in DC. I tend to forget that we moved uh, probably about a month and a half ago. So we have our Hill office that deals with uh, matters before Congress, uh, Typically, staff deals with the federal agencies. I deal a lot with EPA, DOE, Small Business Administration, uh, Securities Exchange Commission, lots of folks like that. So as part of ATA, we, we're called associations. And the reason that S at the end is because we have 50 state trucking associations under our umbrella as well. Now, the state trucking associations handle more localized and state matters, either on the regulatory front or the legislative front. Um, 
and ATA deals namely at the federal level. Now there's lots of interaction between both the states and, and the federal matters because we are partners, we are affiliated organizations. And so oftentimes, you know, I will make sure that if state legislation comes up pertaining to energy and environmental issues, I'll review it on behalf of the state to make sure it lines up with ATA's positions uh, from a national basis, et cetera. So yes, I, I wear a lot of hats and ATA provides lots of different uh, areas of expertise. And uh, every day is an interesting day and, and every day you get up and you have no idea what your calendar is gonna fill out yeah. as for the rest of the day. Yeah, that, and I always, I, you know, I remember the first time, or I remember noticing the S on the end and uh, asking that very question. I think you answered it as well as anybody ever has, uh, especially when it comes to the states. Uh, and we'll get into it in a little bit here, but, um, you know, there was, maybe I'll just ask you right out the beginning here, you know, there was the federal government and then California often was, you know, another uh, regulatory body. But now with these um, more recent rules we're seeing memorandum of understanding of other states uh you know looking to adopt similar things to california i mean is that a, i gotta believe that's a big deal with respect to inter, interstate commerce and and how this might all play out you, you want to comment on that before we go any further yeah it's you know it's been one of the more difficult things for us to deal with in terms of educating fleets you know, fleets kind of their eyes glaze over when we start talking about California, because many of them might not operate in California or never plan to be in California. And what we keep trying to explain to them is California is the Petri dish for innovation. And the reason that is so is because under the Federal Clean Air Act, when they negotiated that at the federal level, California had already been in that space regulating and uh, legislating because they have the worst air quality of anywhere in the country. So as part of the negotiation process, they got a certain carve out from EPA under the Clean Air Act that affords them kind of a unique status to proceed with regulatory development, legislation, et cetera, um, insofar as EPA gives it a final stamp of approval before they proceed and implement it. So with that being said, that's why everyone in our industry needs to pay attention to what's happening in California. And we see that now more than ever, especially when you go through different political cycles, if the federal government kind of freeze frames and, and is not as proactive as the state of California wants them to be, you'll have a state kind of sucking up the energy in the room and being more active so that they keep the pressure on advancing their needs in the state of California. And so with that being said, California is extremely active in, in the areas of electrification, decarbonization, further reduction of nitrogen oxide emissions. And we're really paying attention because that Clean Air Act also affords other states in the country to do what's called opting in to California standards. So if EPA gives final approval to California to implement a certain regulation that California developed, certain states around the country uh, under the Clean Air Act, will be allowed to mimic that regulation and uh, adopt that regulation as written in California and implement it and enforce it in their individual states. And we're seeing that spreading across the entire country. It's likely going to be spreading specifically on in West Coast states and the Northeastern states of this country. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and uh, you know, how, and I think you articulated it really well. I mean, California has had a unique, very difficult challenge in, in air quality. So sort of, you know, them being sort of the lead horse then, and, um, you know, and the federal government figuring out how best for the rest of the states. Um, but this opt-in is, is, you know, is really kind of interesting. You know, I, I think um, I've been thinking about interviewing you for this podcast a bit, Glenn, and I was, you know, I was worried about getting into the weeds and some things. So let's, let's try, we'll try to avoid that. But, um, you know, it, just as you look back over the last 25 years, you know, you've kind of been at this and, and really you think back to, before we had NOx and PM regulations and, you know, every three years we were coming up with new engine technologies throughout the, you know, 80s or through the 90s and, and early 2000s around, you know, NOx and particulate matter. And then in 2010, kind of turning to greenhouse gas, kind of summarize those decades, if you would. I mean, how did that help us prepare for, for where we are now with, you know, clean trucks or, you know, really zero emission trucks and the the rules and regulations that'll come about with that. And I know that's a really sort of tough high level question, but um, you know, the industry was already pretty regulated and now with these rules, you know, we've learned a lot and how, how has that prepared us for the future? You think? It's definitely been a journey. I, I think uh, historically we've only been focused on particulate matter, i.e. soot or nitrogen oxide or NOx emissions associated with smog and ozone formation. And the vice kept getting tightened over the decades to keep making those standards more and more stringent for new equipment. Until today, we use the term near zero emissions uh, with respect to the amount of soot we put out and the amount of NOx emissions that we put out. So I think over the decades, we, we've learned that uh, there's give and take in, in regulatory development and I think EPA has come around, many people disagree with me, that without some level of industry support and the need for better stakeholder input, a rule can never become a rule. Now, does industry always get what they want? Definitely not. Does EPA always get what they want? Definitely not. So over time, I've seen the two ends coming somewhere close to the middle. It might not be on the 50 yard line. It might be on our 40 yard line. It might be on their 40 yard line. I've seen that definite trend occur. And I, I know it's taken decades and decades to get there. I, I do know that when, <clears throat> as we've gone closer and closer to the number zero in terms of particulate matter and NOx emissions, you know, there's the folks have shifted. They think that, you know, this latest uh, NOx rule is going to be the last one ever need for industry because the vision is that the future is going to go towards zero emission uh, vehicles and that we will not be using as many fossil fuels. So there, there will not be another NOx rule being required. Because the last NOx rule was back in two, 2001. And, and here we are in 2022, and it's going to be implemented in 2027. So that's 26 years. That's a quarter century. So we're not going to see these typical emission regulations ever being developed again for our industry you know in 25 years i'm not going to be sitting here number one i won't be in this job anymore yeah and number probably. two yeah you know i'll be yelling at the kids cutting across my yard trying to catch the school bus if there's still a thing such as school buses then i don't know what <laughs> transportation will look like in 25 years from now 
but you know, it, it has transitioned. And I know that in the development of, of regulations today, EPA will look at trucking as a very critical stakeholder and they will reach out to us and they will bounce ideas off us. And I, I meet with the regulators on a monthly basis, just kind of throwing ideas out and, and seeing what might work, what our concerns are, sharing of data. That never happened 25, 30 years ago. So it's this, this interesting development of better communications uh, in the rulemaking process. That's fantastic. And I think sometimes we under under uh, appreciate that, Glenn. I mean, we get caught up in the, oh, how are we going to do this? And there's going to be cost to that. And, um, you know, looking to the future while, um, you know, regulating today. I mean, it gets so confusing. And, you know, if you, if you just read some of the magazines, you'd, you'd feel like, you know, there's fruit being thrown at each other during these meetings where, you know, really um, we have come a long way and um, really should be proud of the industry with where we where we've come with, uh, you know, not only the pollutant emissions, but also in the area of carbon. I mean, the fuel economy of these trucks over the last 10 years, and we follow it pretty closely at NACFI's, you know, extraordinary. And, you know, in, in, in improving the fuel efficiency of diesel is a decarbonizing strategy, right? I mean, sometimes we get caught up in it's got to be zero or it's got to be electric or hydrogen, but um, burning less fuel hauling freight is a really good thing. Yeah, most definitely, because... Uh... Sometimes we we kind of lose touch with the dialogue and where it's heading. Once upon a time, there used to be something called bridge fuels. It would be the, the fuel between fossil fuels and electrification. And uh, I, I kid people saying that that term is no longer used. And that's because they blew up the bridge. And, and it, but it's a true statement. You know, everyone wants to go from fossil fuels, flip the switch, and tomorrow is going to be a zero emission vehicle world. That's not going to be the case. And so, you know, I, I think that the, the dialogue shifted. Other people have kind of gotten control of, you know, uh, the rate of speed. Things are supposed to happen, not that they will happen that way in real life because technology and the industry and manufacturing doesn't work that way. But there's, there's a lot of kind of uh, dialogue that's kind of... Uh, circulating out there that doesn't take into account this next transition that we're going through which is like with any journey it's it's not gonna be an easy journey but i'm sure that we'll get there at some point in time yeah i think with respect to the zero emissions um you know i've been thinking about you know electric and hydrogen and you know running those with renewable sources as sort of the you know sort of the nirvana at least in my career uh, and, you know, one of the advantages of zero, you know, kind of true zero, like z whether it's zero tailpipe emissions or, you know, zero, zero, uh, is that it's easy to measure. Um, so I got to believe in the rulemaking process. I've been, I've been waiting to ask somebody this, you're as good as any, Glenn, but that, that, that uh, zero emission regulate, zero emission truck regulations is much simpler than you know, like near zero or getting close to zero because you just don't have all those, um, you know, testing and all this and that and the other. And so uh, am I right in that, that when, when regulators think about regulating to zero, that's, that's more simple than, you know, just squeezing out carbon and NOx and particulates and, and all those things. Um, kind of do I have that right, Glenn? Yeah, aside from, you know, all the boxes that need to get checked off in order to secure a zero emission vehicle future, there, there are a lot of positives for 
wanting that future, namely, you would never have to deal with California Air Resource Board again. <laughs> you, you would not have to do data submittals. You would not have to get smoke tested. You would not have to get involved in different aspects of litigation, potentially. You know, and and not to even get into maintenance, you know, reduce maintenance needs and, you know, the technician shortage might, you know, kind of cure itself. You know, if we have less maintenance requirements, you know, maybe this technician shortage would take care of itself. And, and all this is kind of going lock, step and barrel uh, along with automation, you know, so automation, electric vehicles, zero emission vehicles, you know, it's, it's all kind of coming together. You know, and and we're kind of it's your term, the messy middle. We're in that messy middle where there's yep. different options out there for different fleets. Some some fleets are more proactive and they want to, you know, dip their toe in and start doing testing and see if it works best in their best business model. And and others are gonna kind of let other folks be the initial guinea pigs and see how it works out. So we'll see where that yeah. ends up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would imagine that, you know, I think trucking is going through a pretty big technology transformation here. I mean, I you, you just threw out a bunch of them with, you know, autonomy and electrification, etc. And it would seem to me that um, that's going to change a, a lot of things. And it becomes doesn't it become harder for regulators to do their jobs in a like a transformation or a transition of technologies. I mean, you know, it, you know, over like we've been talking about for the last three decades, diesel has been the power plant of choice, you know, across most of trucking. So, you know, it's been, even though it's difficult to regulate these admission emissions, at least we knew there was one power plant. Um, so I suppose the future is easier to regulate solutions with zero, like we've been talking about, but, um, you know, with more of them, whether it's natural gas, biofuels, hybrids, I mean, all of those solutions might require different regulatory like regimes, right? I mean, that that's hugely challenging. Yeah, and that, you know, I one of the most difficult jobs to have in, in the trucking industry going forward will be the fleet manager. You know, if, if you have different types of powertrains and you're operating in different jurisdictions, you know, how can you ensure that your equipment is going to be compliant wherever it is? You know, uh, Going over to fire codes, for example, you know that, and this is just one of the many examples with uh, battery electric vehicles. You know, how will first responders know uh, what caused the fire, what type of fire retardant to use, et cetera? And and these things lop over into fleet management and compliance matters and safety matters and you know acceptance to your technicians and to the drivers and. And going across the country, you know, I mean, uh, there it's one thing if you see a speed limit sign, you know what the speed limit is? There aren't going to be signs up telling you what the requirements are based upon your model year vehicle, the type of fuel that you're consuming, et cetera. So it's going to be confusing for enforcement folks. It's going to be confusing for fleets. I think the confusion will gradually fade, but at least during this transitional time, um, it's going to be difficult for all those different entities to kind of know what's up and what's down. Right. Right. I was talking with a emergency responder uh, just recently and we were, he, he had to put out some, uh, a battery fire in a battery electric car. 
And um, the thing that surprised him was, um, you know, it, it can be like, I don't know, he was saying like two days where that could reignite. So you just can't, you know, you just can't haul the bat, the, the car to a junkyard and, and not worry about it. He, you know, he was saying that. So little things like that, there's going to be, you know, thousands of those, um, you know, a little while ago, you talked about, you know, 50, 50, 60, 40, and kind of getting what you want in these regulations and so forth. So, you know, as we think forward, Glenn, and you thinking about your time working with a lot with industry, also working with different levels of regulators and so forth, you know, what, what's some advice for some of the newbies out there, let's call them or us that, that, you know, haven't really walked in your shoes, but will be in the future, um, you know, what, um, what's sort of the secret sauce of, of making that uh, collaboration work between industry and government? Uh, and maybe what, what's your advice to people? I, I would say, you know, develop those relationships, keep those relationships, be open, be willing to listen, realize that everything you hear might not be, you might not be on board with, but at least you need to, you need both sides to be open. And, and you need both sides to listen and you need hopefully compromise somewhere in the middle. You know, it's, it's hard to ignore good data, good stories and, and good testimony and comments. And if you submit information to those that regulate you, that's backed up by data, it's going to be hard for them to ignore. I, I always have the saying that if, if there's a regulation being developed, <clears throat> The best time to create change in a regulation is before the regulation is even proposed. Because once a regulator puts something in writing, it's more difficult for them to undo what they put in writing. So our goal is to make sure that we meet with the regulators before that proposed language even comes out so it never appears in print, that we satisfy them, we answer their questions so that they don't have to look for justification to undo something that comes out in print. Right, right. And, you know, with respect to this, th this isn't one of those things, like in a lot of things in life, one or both parties can just walk away, <laughs> just decide not to do it, right? You can have a new a new project or, um, you know, you could you could be, I don't know, something simple, right? Like, like putting out a back, you know, back deck on the back of your house, right? And you can just decide, okay, I'm just going to not do it. Well, with regulations and what we're talking about here, that's not the case. This is going to happen, right? So, uh, you know, you had some really good advice there of, of getting those relationships, getting them early, uh, walk in their shoes, understand what they're, you know, the other side's thinking. I guess classic collaborative, um, you know, efforts because um, all that will will turn back. And I guess be patient with um, the whole process and, um, you know, be willing to accept, a, you know, a compromise. Compromise is not the bad thing that, 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 that it's come to seem to seem to be you know, seem to be. Well, I will, I will share this little snippet with you. In dealing with the California Air Resource Board, it's, it's always very difficult. You know, they, they employ thousands of folks that are always kind of digging down to the next layer, the next layer, the next layer. And anytime we say in comments or testimony that you're going to drive us out of the state because we just can't make a living anymore. And then the rule gets finalized, you start implementing it. Then we raise that same point in another rulemaking. Their response is, I see you're still here. So as long as, long as there, there's a, a, uh, a business case to be had yeah. in complying with regulations, um, 
that argument doesn't seem to work too well. Right. Well, moving freight is, um, you know, it's the lifeblood. I mean, it's, it is what it is. So, you know, like I mentioned a little while ago, you just can't walk away from it. So, um, uh, hey, hey, Glenn, uh, we always run out of time. Um, this has been really interesting. And you've said some things that have made me think a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess as we close, um, you know, and, and you sort of said it a few minutes ago, but, um, you know, we have a lot going on in not only the, the longer future, but right here in front of us with these rules and so forth. So um, just one piece of advice you'd have, uh, you know, as we close out, um, what would be something specific that um, some of our listeners can take and, and, and go do? Yeah, the, the one point of advice I, I'd like to give, if you speak up, you have a chance to make a difference. If you don't speak up, you'll never know. And this goes to whether it's local politics, state politics, federal politics, regulations, public hearings, everything's done virtually. You know, if you have something on your mind, don't be afraid to speak up and share that with those that are going to be regulating you. You know, silence is golden, as they say. So if, if you don't raise information that you have that a regulation would impact, then the regulators will never know about it. So get involved and and everyone's voice does make a difference or has the potential to make a difference. Very good, Glenn. I really appreciate you uh, being on and your uh, sage comments here. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun talking to you today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, let's do this again, Mike. Freight Efficiency with Nackby's Mike Rosen Friends.